0: You are welcome to the teaching ministry of Nelson Ehiago. Be stirred as you listen. So tonight I'm going to talk about let, Let This Mind Be In You. That's what I've titled it, okay? Let This Mind Be In You. And it's going to be an amazing teaching, trust me. It's going to be an amazing teaching. So for everybody that has been with us from the beginning of this series, one thing we've looked at is how... The revelation of God is the revelation of God basically is the revelation of the believer. So, when the believer sees God clearly, the believer acts in accordance. How much of God the believer has seen, or uh, how much of God the believer knows, is going to inform how the believer acts. If the believer sees what Jesus has done, clearly he will get to understand that because of what jesus has done this is how i act so because we've looked at forgiveness because he has forgiven us we forgive lavishly we've looked at love because his love was expressed on the cross the cross is the clearest revelation of his love we get to understand that um because of what he revealed on the cross we cannot but love people we got to understand that why is Jesus Lord? How is He Lord? He is Lord because He died, He was buried, and He rose again. He bought us with a price. In His death, burial, and Resurrection, our Apollotrusis, our redemption is found. Alright? Our redemption is is found. And in our redemption, He bought us back from the power of sin and death. So we are we are He is Lord over us in life. Okay? Even in death, he is Lord. So we we got to understand that, and what does it mean for us? We don't live on trends. We don't live on standards by set by the world and things. We live on what he has set for us. We live on what he has set for us. Hallelujah. So tonight, um, I'm just really going to be sharing something amazing with us. In that same vein, you know, let this mind be in you. Okay. So, uh, let me start like this. Turn your Bible to Hebrews, to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Let's start from verse 1. It says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, Okay, God who had sundry times and in diverse manner spake in time past past unto the fathers by the prophets. He has in these last days spoken unto us by his son. A better rendition will actually be he spoke to us in these last days in his son. So what that will mean is in the son, that is in Jesus, in the actions of Jesus, in the miracles of Jesus, in everything Jesus did, we see the speakings of the father. In everything Jesus did, we see the revelation of the Father. So, God in this time spoke to us in the Son. Alright? He says, Whom he appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the world. Look at verse 3. He says, Who being the brightness of his glory. What this means is when you see Jesus is an offshoot, he's the effulgence of the power of God, and the express image of his person. So, when you see Jesus, you have seen the Father. When you see Jesus, you have seen the Father. The things that Jesus will say are the things that the Father will say. The things that Jesus will do in a situation are the things that the Father will do in that situation. Hallelujah. So, these are the things that we begin to see. Um, It says, uh, And upholding all things by the word of his power, whom he... Whom he had by himself purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So the speakings of God are found in the Son. What we see the Son do is what we see the Father doing. What we see the Son say is what we see the Father communicating. Hallelujah. Okay. So if there's anything we get to understand, you know, like I've been saying, if the the Father is a pattern for the believer. So, Jesus also is still the pattern for the believer. So, Jesus in life, Jesus is still the pattern in life. Not just in the death, burial, and resurrection, but in his in the life of Jesus, we see the pattern for the believer. Because in the life of Jesus, the sonship of the believer is taken into account. Praise God. I say that again. Jesus is the pattern of the believer, not just in the death, burial, and resurrection, but in his life, he's still the pattern for the believer. Because in him, we have become joint heirs with the Father. We have become one with the Father. Hallelujah. we become one with the Father. So, how we see Jesus respond, we can respond that way, because we have the nature of God at work in us by the Holy Ghost. So we can respond in that same way, in the same situation. And not just we can, we are expected to. Because everything the believer needs to live this Christian life is at work on his inside. So Jesus is still the pattern for the believer. So John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Hallelujah. John chapter 13. This is a long read, so just go with me with your Bible. It says now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world and unto the father. Having loved his own which were in the world he loved them unto the end. It says and supper being ended the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot Simon's son to betray him. Jesus knowing that Jesus knowing that the Father has given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God he riseth from supper laid aside his garments took a towel and girded himself and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and wipe them with a towel wherewith and wiped them with the towel wherewith he was girded he was girded now let me explain this. You see, feet washing is a historical practice. Okay, is a historical practice. The way using sanitizer now <laughs> is a historical practice. When you go out and you come back, you're expected to have your bath, you're expected to wash your hands, you're expected to use the sanitizer to avoid any covidic materials on your body. Okay. So also Israel is a desert land. Israel has Israel has uh, what shall I call it now is a dusty place. So when when a guest is coming into your home he has probably walked you know miles he has walked a bit his feet is dusty. So when he comes into your home your the feet of the servant is wa- is washed and cleaned or the feet the feet of the visitor rather is washed and cleaned by and by a servant. That is this job is done by the basest person in the house. Okay, and this thing is usually done, you know, as a sign to say, "Oh, you're welcome into my house." Okay, the servant washes the feet of the visitor because he's expected, being a dusty terrain, that the feet of the the visitor is dusty. Is dusty. Let me even give more context. You know, when Jesus turned water to wine, that verse. When he turned water to wine, that and um, this thing, those drums he used, the water of the purification. Historians actually say that that, that water he turned to wine is actually the water they used to wash feet. <laughs> it's actually the water they used to wash feet that he used to do those things. Okay? So I don't know. A lot of us here are probably coming from different churches, different religious backgrounds. And I know a lot of people have feet washing services that they use these things for miracles. And miracles happen because God is ex- God is looking for any means to reach out to his people. God is good like that. Let me put it that way. God is good like that. And he's looking for any means to reach out to his people. However, if we follow the Bible carefully, we find out that Jesus did not use feet washing for miracles. Or rather, he used feet washing to teach a lesson. Okay. So, I have to explain that context so we understand the historical context, so we understand, that's why we're reading on. Look at verse 5 of verse 6. Then, comment he to Simon Peter. And Peter said unto him, Lord, does that wash my feet? That is saying, Master, are you going to wash my feet? Because, I mean, you are, in quotes, higher than me. Why will you wash my feet? You know, and then Jesus answered, verse 7, and said unto him, I hope you are going through with your Bible. And said unto him, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Now remember, the context was Jesus knew he was going to die. So he was using this thing to teach a lesson. Okay. He says, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will understand it eventually. Look at verse 8. He says, Peter saith unto him, thou shalt never wash my feet. Do you see this? Peter is saying that if you are washing my feet, you are affirming that you are my servant. Why will you wash my feet? Jesus answered if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Look at verse 9. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hand and my head. Verse 10. Jesus saith to him, he that is washed needeth not he that is washed needed not save to wash his feet, but is clean every week. And you are clean, but not all. Okay? Then let's read on. Verse 11. It says, For, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore, said, You are not all clean. That's why he said that. He says, So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? thirteen. Ye call me master and lord, and ye say well, it means you are correct when you call me those things. For I am. Verse 14. If I then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, it means if me being the Lord of the house have become the basest for the sake of your for the sake of you, for serving you. Look at what Jesus said. He says, and I have washed your feet. Ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, he's using feet washing as a figurative expression, as a metaphor. He's saying that if I, being the Lord, has washed your feet, you also serve one another. Serve one another. Serve one another. So he said, for uh, so giving you an example that you should... Okay, verse 14 now. He says, having washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. 15, for I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. 16, verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happier are you, you, are you if you do them. So Jesus is saying, the servant is not bigger than his master. The person that is sent is not greater than the person that sent him. However... Knowing this, Jesus still served them. And Jesus is saying, if you know I served you, serve one another. Serve one another. Because Jesus washed their feet for an example. So basically, feet washing, Jesus used it as a teaching tool. He used it as a teaching tool. He used these things as part of his teaching ministry to communicate what he was saying. So child of God, if there is one thing we get to understand is this. Jesus saved the disciples and he told the disciples as I have served you serve other people. The Christian life is a life of continuous service by God. The Christian life is a life of continuous service by God. Hallelujah. Look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. Now, I'm going to ex- I'm going to come back or let me even say this but turn to Galatians 5:13. When you look at John chapter 13 Verse verse um seven where Jesus said, What I do, thou knowest not now. He said, But you will know hereafter. It means you don't understand the service I'm rendering to you now. What egg what service did Jesus render? That if anybody does not accept that service, he's not a part of him. It's simple. It is the salvation that he achieved on the cross. I'm gonna buttress on that when we eventually get there. But Galatians chapter 5. Are you are you being blessed? Are you learning something? Galatians 5 13. Look at what he says. He says, For brethren, ye, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. He says, But by love, serve one another. This is Paul speaking to um the Church at Galatia. He says, in love, don't use your liberty in Christ to be a stumbling block for one another. One another, He said, but in love, serve one another. Look at verse 14. He says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as yourself. The believer's will love work is his life. You know, there's a reason why I'm putting this teaching after living by Revelation, which is speaking on love. There's the reason I'm putting this immediately after. Because it is really important. I say again. It is really important to guard these things. And the reason I'm putting this after love is because nothing propels service like love. Nothing propels service like love. I say that one more time. Nothing propels service like love. And Jesus embodied this. Jesus embodied this. Jesus did not just serve humanity. It was love that compelled him to do that. It was love that compelled him to do that. And because we see him do that, we have that same mindset. Because we see the things that Jesus has done, we also, we serve one another. Because look at verse 14. You know, Jesus taught all these things. Paul was just reiterating what Jesus had taught. If you go to the teaching on love, you see that I explained that. He said, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Hallelujah. So Jesus embodied how love propels service. How? Let me give you examples. Even the healings and the miracles that we see that Jesus did, they were not, sh- they were not a show of power. They were not an act to... Show how amazing he was. His godly attitude. Those things were not... That's not the reason why those things were done by Jesus. If nothing else, we get to understand that the healing and the miracles were products of compassion. They were products of the stirring of the bowels of love that Jesus had. Let's look at this. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, verse 14. It says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion towards them, and he healed their sick. You see, behind the healing ministry of Jesus was compassion. Behind the healing ministry of Jesus was not an affirmation that he's a man of God. That was not the motive behind the healing ministry of Jesus i say again, the motive behind the healing ministry of Jesus was not that he is alpha, omega, all-powerful. It was compassion. It was compassion. So, there is a reason miracles. There is something that propelled the miracles of Jesus. It was compassion. There was something that propelled that service of the power of God. It was compassion. Praise Jesus. There was something that compelled that. It was compassion. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was compassion that propelled that. Look at Matthew chapter 15. You know, I told you whatever we see the Jesus do is what, we, what the Father is doing. Okay? And then Jesus is not just pattern in the death, burial, and resurrection. He's also a pattern in life. What we see Jesus do is what the believer can do. Matthew chapter 15. Go to verse 32. I hope you are turning your Bible. Are you there? It says, Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue with me now three days, and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. And then Jesus began to read on, and then it is this compassion that gave birth to the miracle of multiplication. Okay. It is this compassion that gave birth to the miracle of multiplication. There are many, many other things we could see, okay? Many other things. Matthew 20, you see that Jesus had compassion on those that were blind and he healed them and they saw, you know. Compassion was what moved the Jesus to do the things that he did, okay? Compassion is what moved Jesus to do the things that he did. So also, the further father buttresses my point that Love propels service. When we love people, we are born of love. So also because of that, not because of any other thing. And that's why you see there are some books that believers should not be found reading. Books that teach you that do good for an ulterior motive should not be found with the believer. There are many books we read, you know. Books like, that, maybe books like Art of of Seduction, The Art of War, things like that, that you bring into your context. And then these are books that are not, that are not, um, um, in tandem with your walk with God, with the revelation that you have seen in Christ. We don't do good because, and we don't show love and serve people, even the saints, because of, um, An ulterior motive. Because of something we want to get. We do these things because that is who we are. Praise Jesus. That is who we are. We are born of love. We express that love. I say that one more time. We are born of love and we express that love. And that love finds expression in the service we do to humanity and mankind. Even to the saints. 48 laws of power. Thank you. You know things like that, so we even see something in Acts in First Corinthians chapter 12. You know, when Paul was speaking, and then Paul said uh, many things, he talked of how you know he talked on uh, about concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. I will not have you ignorant, and then he went down and spoke about all of them. And then Paul now said something else, Paul now said, Listen to me carefully. Paul said, um, He said, Seek earnestly the best gifts. The word best in the Greek actually means the most advantageous. And when we interpret it with the context, what the best there does not mean that one gift trumps another, no. The best there usually just means, or in context means, that there are gifts that are more useful to the saints, especially in edification, exhortation, and comfort. So the best there that he was speaking about was... um, prophecy or tongues and interpretation, because these are gifts that edify the saints. Tongues and interpretation is prophecy, all right? And then there's prophecy, okay? So, um, prophecy, the character of prophecy is seen in three things, edification, exhortation, and comfort. So, this is what Paul meant by the best gifts. So, Paul, in talking on spiritual gifts and the power of God, remember this is in character with the life of Jesus. Jesus did not just do miracles for the sake of miracles; he did miracles because compassion moved him. All right. So, also, child of God, the next time you want to lay hands on the sick, don't do those things because you want to just show power. Do those things because you are moved with compassion. You know that oh, I'm going. This person should not be suffering in sickness when I have the power to heal the sick. Praise God. When you want to cast out the devil, don't do those things because, um, um, you know, you want to show that devil you have power. You see, there are a lot of things I begin to see when I I see people cast out devils. And I, I was guilty of it at some point, but it's not necessary. You know, so tell the person, lie down, roll, you know, fire on your leg and all those things. And it is the power of God. It will accomplish those things. But can I tell you something? Those things are... Those things many times are just a show of power. They are just a show of power. Because the truth of the matter is that devil is not does not just exist. It is existing in a body. So that person is the person that is going to wake up with the scratch, with the dirt, with the rolling, and all those things. Yet, you will still eject the devil. Okay? How be it, if there is one thing I have come to see in all this, is this. That the... um. In casting out of devils, the end is not just that, you know, I showed that the kingdom of God is here. The end is that this person be free from this oppression of Satan. That is the goal. That is the goal. This person be free from the oppression of Satan. First Corinthians 12, 13, Paul said, "Seek, but I show you a more excellent way. What is that excellent way? If you go to 1 Corinthians 13, there's one thing he spoke of, and what he spoke of was love. Love, rather, better than demonstrating gifts for the sake of gifts. Love is the better way to demonstrate gifts or a better reason to demonstrate gifts. Let me say that again. Rather than demonstrating gifts for the sake of demonstrating gifts, love is a better reason To demonstrate gifts. Love is a better reason. To demonstrate gifts. Love is a better reason. To demonstrate gifts. The gifts are demonstrated. The gifts are demonstrated. The reason the gifts should be demonstrated. Is love. Is love. Look at 1 Corinthians 13 verse 3. Paul was trying to speak to us. What love was. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 3. Or let's read from verse 1 rather so we'll get the flow. So when Paul said I give I, I show you a more excellent way, he's saying that rather than just demonstrating gifts, there's an excellent, there's a better way to dev- or there's a better premise on which those gifts are to be demonstrated. It is love. It is love. Okay. So he now goes on from verse one. He says, Do I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity. I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He says, though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries. He says, and I have all knowledge and I have all faith so that I can remove mountains. And I have not love. That's what charity is. He says, I am nothing. I am nothing. Do you see this? He says, I am nothing. Then look at verse 3. He says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, And have not love. It profited me nothing. You know when I read this verse. It blew my mind. The reason it blew my mind was because. It means that you can give your life savings. And you can do all those things. And the reason you are doing all those things is not love. And if it is not love. It is not going to profit you anything. You know when I read this verse. In First Corinthians that says. You know our works will be tried by fire. Some of wood. Some of gold. Some of hay. Some of stubble. You know some will be burnt. I believe that in that trying of fire, when God is going to try our works, he's going to try our motives alongside. And this verse is a very important thing. Now, listen, the believer, you know, um, a lot of theologians say that there are two kinds of judgments. You know, there's the eternal judgment where that one, believers are not even, or it doesn't exactly speak to believers in quote because the believer is assured of heaven. And then there's another judgment where we will give account of everything we have done in the flesh. We will give account and receive our reward. Okay. I heard someone say something. He said that, you know, um, if anybody just chooses to live their Christian life anyhow, when others are putting their head to receive crown, when you put your own head, you receive a knock. <laughs> Anyways. So, First um, Corinthians 13 verse 3. It says that though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and I give my body to be burned, and I have not charity, it profited me nothing. Have you seen people who have given everything to the poor? They've 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 given their money, they've given all those things. And the reason they did those things was not because of love, or was not because of compassion. The reason they did those things was to prove a point. To prove a point. The reason they did those things was um um so that they could win highest highest giver, or they could have a kind of honor. Do you understand what I'm saying? When those things happen, or if that is the cause for giving, when those giving stand before God, they will not be worth anything. Because I told you last week, when you know when Jesus said, If you have anything against your brother, drop your offering, sort out with your brother, come back, and then give your offering. If anything, that should tell us that God receives him. God is more interested in the state of the man than the gift of the man. I say again God is more interested in the state of the man than the gift of the man. So, you know, I appreciate ministries where they celebrate people who give and all those things, you know. But then those things have tendencies to make people distracted, how be it. However, if the reason people are giving is so that they will get, they fall into this category too. Because they say, oh, do you, do you spawn, do you give to the gospel? Do you give to ministers of the gospel? Do you give, um, to your local church? And I keep saying this again, giving to a ministry is not the same thing as giving to a minister. There are two very different things. Giving to a ministry is not the same thing as giving to a minister. So, when you ask people, do you give to a minister? Do you give for the work of the gospel? They say, yes, I do. But when you check the root of their giving, the reason they are giving is so they can get. You know, they are giving so it will be pressed down, shaking together, running over, and God will give into their bosom. Even though the interpretation of that verse was human relations in judgment and mercy. Okay? But the reason that they give, that is the reason. Why do you give a tenth of your income? Is so that ah God will open the windows of heaven. You know, that is the sole reason you are giving. You know, that if that is your aim for giving, when all this your giving stand before God, they will be worth nothing. Because at the end of your giving is not love for the world, for the Lord of the walk, It is not love for what God has done. It is love for what you can get back. It is greed that is motivating you. And when that giving stands before God, it will be worth nothing. And I think the reason I'm really even emphasizing on this is because this word is for somebody. This word is for somebody. This word is for somebody. You see... <clears throat> Hallelujah. The church in Nigeria needs to learn this thing. They need to learn this thing. They need to learn it. It says, if I bestow all my goods, it means you can give heaven and earth to the poor. But the reason you are doing those things is not because you... The reason you are doing those things is not because you... Um. What's the word now? It's not because you... Love the Lord of the harvest is for what you can get in return. When that giving stands before the Lord of the harvest, that giving will be burnt with fire. It will not stand, it will not stand the test of eternity. Because eternity, you know, the Bible says the Lord spoke to Samuel. He said, I do not look on the outward like men do. I look in the heart. I look at the heart. He says he is the God before him, all things that lay bare. It means everyone is naked before God. So, even when you stand before God, God will not just judge the things you did. God will judge the motives you did. Are you giving to that minister because you want to tap into grace? Or you just honor him genuinely and honor what the Lord is doing in his life? And the truth is, what you honor, you know, you will receive of it. But is that your sole reason? Is that your sole reason? If that is your sole reason, let me say again, when that giving stands in the view of eternity, it will not matter. Why are you giving that word of knowledge? Are you really? Do you really want to edify, or you want to show that God called me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we must even walk with the power of God in the character of Jesus. If anything, we see. (laughs) This was not part of my notes, but let me turn your Bible with me to Matthew. Turn your Bible with me to Matthew. Luke, rather, sorry. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Go to verse 50, 55, 52. 52. Yes. It says, I'm sent, let's read from 51. He says, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. Look at 53. He says, and they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. That's the Samaritans. He looked like, you know, he didn't look like a Samaritan. He looked like a a Jew, like an Israelite. Look at 54. He says, and when, his disciples, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, will thou not command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? Now, you need to understand what they were doing was they were quoting scriptures to Jesus. They said, the way Elijah said fire should come down upon you, Lord, will you not do the same? Are you not Lord? You are even greater than Elijah. So it means that you will not even... Call fire. you just snap your finger and Thanos will just happen here. You know? Look at verse 53. Verse 55, rather. But he turned and rebuked them. Do you see this? And I explained. I started by saying that what Jesus was doing is what the Father will do. He says he turned and rebuked them. What this means is that if, if God was there when Elijah called down fire on those people, God would have rebuked. If God had to speak, rather, God would have rebuked Elijah. If there's anything, what does this verse tell us? You can use the power of God against the character of God. You can use the power of God against the character of God. He says, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. And they went into another village. What does this mean? It means that so you can... The fact that you manifested a word of knowledge, you cast out a devil and did all those things, does not mean you did it right. It does not mean your heart was in the right position to minister to that person, but to prove a point. Your heart might have just been to prove a point. And in that state, when he stands before God, it will not, it will not weigh much. Let me say something else. Um, hmm. Hallelujah. Are you learning something this evening? Are you learning something this evening? He says he rebuked them. He said, You know not what manner of spirit ye are of. Why do you think people pray for witches to die and witches die? It's because you are the one that gives direction to the power of God. It does not mean God wants witches to die. You are the one that gives direction to the power of God. It does not God wants them saved. Can I ask? Can I tell you something? Listen. A lot of people think that if the witch dies, the problem is going to end. Witchcraft engages demon spirits is a spirit. So when it is at work, if the vessel dies, the oppression has not ended. The oppression has not ended. I say it one more time the oppression has not ended. Because if a witch dies, she goes to hell, or he goes to hell. A wizard now, warlock goes to hell. Who gets the glory? It definitely is not God, because it is his will that all men be saved. Finally, Philippians chapter 2, as I round up and we prepare for stay, final day. Philippians chapter 2. Look at Paul speaking now. He said, if there, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit... If any bowels of if any bowels and, of, and mercies, look at two. He says fulfill ye fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but let it be done in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem the other better than himself. You see, when it comes to the gathering of the saints, you are not supposed to think of yourself first. You are supposed to think of the saints first. It says, verse 4, Look, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Don't look at the things that concern you, but look at other people's things. It says, let this man be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It says, who, being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He says, But he made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of his servant, and was made in the likeness of men. It. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What do I mean by the death of the cross? This means, is what this is what Jesus was telling Peter. This is what Jesus was telling Peter in John chapter 13. He said, if I don't wash you, you don't have a part of me. He's saying, if I don't give you service, you don't find the expression in me. And what does he mean by this service? It was when he humbled himself, became a man, died on the cross. God became a man. Life died for the sake of man to receive that life. So when God became a man, it was when Peter found expression hallelujah god became a man to the end that he could serve mankind so in jesus washing peter he was telling peter that if i don't serve you you don't have a part in me so the ultimate expression of the service of god of what he was trying to teach peter was him going to die on the cross remember john chapter 13 the context was when he knew he was going to leave this world and go on to the father so he was talking of the death that he was going to die so we go to John chapter 13 and we see what Jesus did. So the ultimate expression of the service of God is the cross. And since we see what God did on the cross, we see that as an expression of love, we see that as an expression of service, so also we love and we serve others. A child of God should not walk in strife, should not walk in bitterness, should not walk in hatred because he's not who you are. A child of God should not have People walking in evil around him. When I or ben put it better way, people walking in, in, in penury and poverty around him and not 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 feel it. Even in the you know the Bible says, do good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. When you see believers, listen, what the Bible teaches is, we do good to everybody, but when we see believers, we give them an especially attention. We are kind to everybody, but believers, because they are are members of your family, we give them an especially attention. We are biased towards members of the body. When you read through the Bible on generosity, you'll find out that emphasis is actually given to the saints rather than any other person. But having said that, you know, you probably know people who are in the church and need some stuff. Reach out to them. Do them service like Jesus would. Not just in spiritual things. Communicate materially to them. Communicate materially to them. Show your faith by your works to them. Okay? We see, even when you see other people, listen, can I tell you something? Majority of us tuned in are young, if not everybody. We're very young. You you are not too young, you know, to partner with a few friends and send one child to school. You're not too young to see someone who doesn't really have much. And then you say, okay, every month from my allowance, from your salary, from your salary, from this, we're going to put money together and give to this person. It is who the believer is. The believer works in this love. The believer works in this service. You are not too young To say that, okay, you see this minister of the gospel, every month, I'm going to give him this amount of money. This minister of the gospel, every month, I'm going to take care of his data, of his data through the month. This minister of the gospel, I'm going to do this. We do service to one another, to, to God. And if you want to, if you, to do service to God means to serve his people. It means to serve his people. It means to serve his cause. It means to serve his message. It means to serve the man by which this message comes. So when you see people say, "I'm not. I don't serve any man. I serve Jesus," you are ignorant. Because if you don't serve man who you can see, how will you serve God who you cannot see? A lot of people cannot honor their pastor, and they have maybe have excuses for it. But can I tell you something? Listen to me very carefully. If you cannot honor your pastor, if you cannot, if you cannot honor your pastor because he sleeps, you will not honor Jesus because Jesus slept. If you cannot honor your pastor because he gets hungry, you will not honor Jesus because he gets hungry. You know, there are times when people begin to misbehave around me, and I blame myself sometimes. I say, ah, is it because I I let myself free around you and things like that? And I begin to talk to myself and I say, see, if they were with Jesus, it would be the same thing, because. The way a pastor is a man is the way Jesus was also a man. So even if it was Jesus, they would still have the same problems. You see, the woman with the alabaster box, she came and she broke it. And it lets us understand that that, that, that ointment, the pike knot she broke was two years salary. It was two years salary. And when we see that she had done that, Jesus looked at her. Jesus and Peter wanted uh, Judas rather rebuked him and a lot of people were speaking about saying she should have sold it and given it to the poor and Jesus said Peter you have not done this kind of thing for me before so Jesus was shedding Peter he was shedding Peter if you love I don't know why I'm talking in this direction tonight but the Lord is having me focus on especially ministers when you see ministers of the gospel honor them don't just see you know the biblical response and save 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 i know a lot of people have made mistakes you know ministers of the gospel they've taken people for granted they've taken advantage for people it does not mean that is how everybody is it does not mean that's how every minister of the gospel is When you see ministers of the gospel, the biblical response to a message that has blessed you is not, wow, it blessed me. The response is if he has ministered to you spiritually, you minister carnally. You look at ministers, you look at saints. Let me even diversify a little bit. Leave ministers. You serve ministers, you serve the saints, and you serve humanity. You serve ministers, you serve the saints, and you serve humanity. When you see ministers of the gospel, don't just, the woman saw Elijah passing, and she didn't just let him pass, she discerned that this was a man of God, Elijah, Elijah, and she told him, come, come and stay in my house. When you see ministers of the gospel, when you see saints, do good to saints, when you see saints that are in poverty, don't be, don't. Don't, you know, my pastor said something. He said, we are not effective until all of us are effective in the church. We're not effective. You see saints that are suffering. You know people in school that really cannot eat, you know. Buy them lunch sometime. Do good to them. Communicate to them. You see um, other people who, uh, they probably can. You see other people who probably not believers, but they are in poverty. Reach out to them in love. And I tell you this, you know, when the Bible says the, the gift of a man will make a way for him. The right context of that verse actually is not that, um, you know, if you have talent, it will make a way. That's not what he's saying. What that verse is saying, I think another translation says, if you give a man a gift, you will, see the way, the, you will see how the way will become easy. So if you want to visit a rich man, give him a gift and he will pay attention to you, basically. That's what that verse is saying. So, and that's not revelation from God, it's human wisdom. Solomon speaking from human wisdom. Okay. So, when you give to people consistently, many times they will, if you tell them, Can I talk to you about the gospel? they will listen. You know, the Lord gave me a technique. There was a security man. I bought two drinks and I told him, Pick one. And then he picked one. He said, Oh, God bless you. I said, Thank you. Can I talk to you for a bit? He said, Yes, definitely. Share the gospel with him. At the end of it, his mouth was open. He was in awe of the simplicity and the wonder in the gospel. Child of God, that is the life we have been called to. Many times I just realized that when we die, all the money we are fighting for, we're not going to take it anywhere. We're not going to take it anywhere. I heard a man of God say this. He said, you are not rich until you become an outreach. Let me explain that. He said, you are not rich. It means you don't have plenty until many people have benefited from that place. And this is not be wasteful and be too generous to to your own detriment. No, that's not what he's saying. You know, the Bible lets us understand three... I don't know why I'm talking about this. The Bible lets us understand three uses of money. Number one, number one use of money is, um, you know, to take care of yourself and your family, you know. Number two use of money is, the Bible says, let him that... Ha, let him that... Still, still no more Ephesians. He said, but let him walk with his hands that he may have to give to those who have not. Number two reason to work is to give to those that don't have. To give to the poor. But number three and most important is this, is to give to the ministry to give to ministers. To give to ministry and to give to ministers. Hallelujah. That is the reason for Material things. The greater testimony in life is not how much you have, it's not that you became a billionaire. In my life, I'm I'm gonna be prosperous, I'm gonna have a lot of money and material resources, but that is not going to be my testimony. My testimony is going to be through my life, many others had many others stepped into wealth, and they used that also for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others. Many others stepped into wealth and they used that for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others. Hallelujah. I trust you were blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more ministry content, visit niministries.org. God bless you.